Welcome to The Colour of Our Politics, a podcast about the history of black and Asian people in the UK and the struggle against racism. Written, created and hosted by me, Javad Alipour. And me, Tanya Vital. Each episode, we focus on a decisive chapter in British history. Podcasts are uploaded bi-weekly and they're available from where all good podcasts are downloaded. You can find out more information by following us on social media or checking out our website, my website, javadalipour.co.uk. So for our first interview episode, we are absolutely delighted to be joined by Shardine Taylor-Stone. She's going to talk to us about some really crucial stuff right now. Obviously, with the the government report into institutional racism in this country, with stuff like uh, the anti-Semitism inquiry into the Labour Party and the huge amount of Islamophobia in the the Tory party is becoming more and more important to think about how kind of capital P politics works for people of colour in this country. So it's going to be great to chat with her. She's one of the leading young black members of the Labour Party who's been involved all through the Corbyn movement and and further back than that. We also get to talk a little bit about Afro-pessimism, identity and unity across different oppressed groups. Ladies, gentlemen, and everybody in between, we have Shardine Taylor-Stone. I'm a very big fan. I have been following Shardine on social media since her theatre days and right up until her uh, recent Labour Party. Well, you've been in the Labour Party a while, haven't you, Shardine? But um, I'll let you introduce your background and tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, what's my background? Um, Well, I've got a sort of background in black feminist organising, um, I used to do um, a thing called Black Girls Picnic, um, Black British Feminist Conference, um, also other things around like racism and LGBT community. And so in the last like few years, um, I've got more involved in Labour Party activism and trade union work. So I am the vice chair of the Equalities Committee at the Musicians Union and also um, an elected member onto the London Regional Committee, um, where I'm the only black woman on that committee. And um, yeah, I'm also um, a writer as well. So that's that's sort of me. Oh, and I play in a band, Big Janie. So just to start with a bit about um, your Labour Party activism, and I guess my question around Corbynism and the Labour Party is, are radical distribution movements inherently doomed? It's a super optimistic first question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, that, I mean, it's, it's a tough one, really. I mean, I think um, in terms of what what is it that we want to achieve with these movements? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talk about revolution and all that kind of stuff. But really, you know, our, our thing is to kind of make those gains in the immediate term so we can change what people's lives are now so i mean i think even though um you know i'm in the labor party i still think it's really important for people to do activism outside of it because you know as you probably know tanya the labor party is quite a bureaucratic machine and sometimes it can actually stay stifle and in the same way it's stifled um sort of movement behind corbyn but um, in terms of whether they're, they're, they're doomed or not, I mean, I think, you know, we think about what Angela Davis said, that things have gotten better in some ways and worse in, in some other ways. And so I think, you know, we need to think about what have, what have we achieved and how we've achieved those things. And then, you know, how we can achieve the next thing. So, 
at the moment I'm feeling pretty pessimistic I know <laughs> myself yeah, yeah. but um but then also you know if we actually I'm also you know this bill and stuff is happening but then if we think about the conversation around race and colonialism and empire and how we see that in our sort of media and the arts and what is accepted as the kind of the, the neutral point the neutral point now is to discuss it in some form whether you agree with it or you disagree with it whereas 20 years ago it wasn't even on the table to be discussed right yeah and that is a step forward so there will always be that kind of backlash but it's about us moving that point of conversation so it always becomes a neutral point yeah yeah, sorry, Contravard. No, I'll go for it, mate. Yeah, I was just going to say um, around your your current feelings of pessimism, I, I think a lot of us agree, like, um, uh, there's a lot of kind of feeling that there's um, there's certain dealing, Keir's dealing with certain issues of racism within the party and, and not others, and it's um, leading to a lot of mistrust. No, absolutely. I, I absolutely 100% agree with that. And um, I think, obviously, you know, we do need to deal with anti-Semitism. That's not a, yeah. a no-brainer question. But it's also, you know, we're in this environment where identities have been weaponized, and that happens with, you know, the black community, with the Jewish community. Everyone seems to be on it at the moment. It's kind of sort of capital that people are trying to build around being able to monopolize their own oppression in some way or another and um, tactically it works well for the Labour Party to focus on that because um, um, whatever sort of in this they sort of like upper class sort of circles around um, sort of Zionism and Israel and all of that sort of thing and then they themselves are conflating that with anti-Semitism. And so then we end up in this position where, you know, you can't sort of question um, human rights abuses or anything like that, because then that becomes about anti-Semitism when actually really you're about you're talking about Zionism. So that's why you end up with this kind of this very sort of confusing kind of murky politics where no one really kind of is able to sort of grip, get, get to grips with it. One of the things I get really frustrated about is like, I think just the terrible level of people really wanting to have kind of analytical chats about these things. I suppose just how like Starmer has triangulated, you know, on race. I felt like Corbyn and people around him were triangulating on Brexit and there was that stuff about, you know, migrants, perhaps, you know, the bullshit to be clear about migrants driving wages down and I, I remember like making those kinds of criticisms and people being like oh see you've chosen your side do you know what i mean and this is what i joke about as the like uh, the middle easternization of english politics you know mm. wallahi brother you have chosen your side do you know what i mean um and I, but, but actually there are these deeper analytical questions for me where i go like well look if and it's a tough question but like if corbyn is triangulating on the question of Eastern European migrants and if Starmer is willing to throw people of colour under the bus on any kind of issue that comes up do you know what I mean mm -hmm. then maybe maybe there's a problem with the fucking Labour Party mm -hmm. do you know what I mean yeah, absolutely I mean the Labour Party has always been a sort of 
weird kind of allyship of a kind of um, cent the centre left, the socialists, and some sort of like social sort of nationalist types. Really, to be honest, I mean, really, when when let's be honest, when um, you know you see parties like the UMP and UKIP on the rise, it's really a lot of sort of white work, working class Labour voters that end up going onto the, those parties. So there's always been that kind of um, that certain kind of racism within the party. But on, on Brexit as well, you know, I mean, you saw it in the trade union movement where people have this very kind of reductive idea about class when class is always like Englishness and whiteness and northernness. And, you know, these people would be very happy for us to be living in a predominantly nearly all white nation where everyone has a good wage and free NHS healthcare and good housing. And then maybe there's like one one black person there for diversity and jerk chicken. Yeah. And that's it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, I mean, that's yeah. a whole, whole chat in it. Like, I lost my shit with someone on Twitter a few months ago because, and I know, just don't, Javad is the overarching note there, in it? Just like, I was, was trying to say to myself when that's happening. And actually, Shardine, I found your Twitter account. Um, I think you're doing the Lord's work, to be honest with you. I found it very, like, um, you know, educative and really interesting to just. I think it's social media is best, really. You know, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I get to see a little bit of the chat you're having and, the, the, you know, the, the arguments you're having. I think, um, yeah, I lost my shit on Twitter a few months ago because of a, a very, very white middle class, uh, well, very white, white and very middle class artistic director of a, of a northern theatre was making one of these jokes about him being middle class. And he went, you know, the kind of person who tell, knows the difference between feta and halloumi. And I was like, what? I was like, I was like Turks then, Turkish people. Is that what you're talking about? Do you know what I mean? Uh, first of all, second of all, well, second of all, where is this part of England where people have never had halloumi before in this day and age? Exactly. Do you know what I mean? kind of thinking it's like it's available in Tesco. Yeah, like... yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's part of the problem. Like we, because we're part of the uh, well, originally you, you. I mean, I guess you're still part of it as well, Shardine. The 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 theatre Twitterati, you know. Um, our our our, polit- our social media politics are very uh, narrow, um, so I mean it's easy for people to kind of think that everybody thinks like us, and 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 actually, you know, in reality it's very different, isn't no, it? Absolutely. I mean, oh my god. I mean, I, on my day job, I actually work in the museum, so I'm still very much in that world. Um, so I do like um, learning um, adult learning programs and stuff. And um, there's something about the arts sector which is really enraging when it comes to to politics. Yes. <laughs> it's like this sort of like yes. liberal kind of middle class, like oh yes, you know we want to do something on diversity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then it is also like the whitest, most middle class sector that I've ever worked in or experienced in my life. Yeah. And and yeah. also most one of the most racially um, violent at times, and exactly. I guess not physically violent, but like you, you and know, segregated. I mean, as you know, like you know, I lived up in um, Sheffield for a bit, and um, you know, my, part of my job was um, you know working with black artists um, to sort of get them involved in institutions and stuff like that. And what really shocked me was like how a lot of these institutions that are meant to be for 
people of colour. Um, there was a place in Bradford, which is like a South Asian community centre, and all the senior staff were white. All of them were white. See, of course, the problem is uh, if you are to, if you end up like sort of on whatever grounds you criticise anywhere in Bradford, me and Tanya just on a point of principle have to defend it. Do you know what I mean? That's the, <laughs> that's the problem we have. Like, no, no. Do you know what? I wasn't going to actually, and I'll tell you why. Because because we've we've got the same kind of issue in the in the local council. Like um, we don't have a single black voice in our local council. And it's, I mean, we don't have the, the biggest black community in Bradford, but still, like, yeah, but, it's just... I mean, you're right, man. That structure's there. I mean, Bradford is outrageous. Like, Bradford is outrageous. Mm. I mean, like, you put... Shadine, like, I imagine one of the things you might... Maybe that was Kalasangam. That, that it happened. was, yes, yeah. yeah. Actually, actually, <laughs> actually, I mean, just, do you know what I mean? Like, good people doing, trying to do their thing, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, good luck, whatever. But like you say, it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. And I think, it let's be very it. clear about the city like Bradford... You know, people talk about diversity. There's this depoliticized language, diversity, this, that, and the other. Mm. To be very clear about Bradford, what, 20% of people in the inner city areas are Pakistanis? I cannot think off the top of my head of any Bradford Pakistani in a position of power in that city mm -hmm. who didn't get elected into it or make the business themselves. Exactly. Not on the exactly. leadership of the university, not in the cultural sector, not in the... I mean, you know what Bradford's like, it's fucked. So basically, like, it's beautiful, mm -hmm. but it's economically fucked. So the big players mm -hmm. are the NHS Trust, the university, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? These people, there's no one in those leadership positions exactly. there. And I think also, you know, the... I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the down in London as well, the sort of stark differences between people's wealth. But, you know, up there, it's... Jesus, I mean, like, you know, Sheffield is sort of... It's like the Berlin Wall in between the East and West. And then you have like these sort of white people that live a very comfortable middle class lifestyle because they might be working in the trust or the university, etc. And they just do not see anybody who's who's not like them. Like it's a real sort of like bubble that these people are living through. And um yeah, and I think also so you have that and then you know you have the sort of enablers and the gatekeepers there who 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 don't want their position challenged and the same you have this in the labor party as well so i mean just to bring it back to that we we're talking about you know why certain racisms have been prioritized over others it's because frankly there are you know black and asian people in that party who have allowed that to happen and encourage it because they're doing the bidding of um the white people in that party and i've seen it with my own eyes it's been quite shocking actually um the more sort of involved i've got and the more sort of um let's say positions but the more sort of like space that i've been given in that party and recently um they're starting to talk about bringing back the Labour Black sections, which was like a thing in the sort of 80s and 90s, which is how we got Diane Abbott elected and Bernie Grant and people like that. And that was inside an internal structure within the Labour Party, which there isn't now. So they, they're trying to bring that back. So I was sitting on a committee with some really great people like Mish and Nadia and people like that. And um, so we were going through line by line what the rules will be 
very bureaucratic, very boring. <laughs> and um, I mean, it, it, this is like the reality of some like activism that I think people don't. So when you said I'm a boots on the ground activist, it's like I would say more that I used to be that, and now I've kind of gone into the sort of a lot of the sort of tedious sort of going through into like policy type stuff. But um, yeah, so back to the, this, the the group, the quote BAME group, and um, it was, you know, when you hear about you hear about um, what do we call them? Like those sort of you know the Kemi Badenot types, the people that you know enable racist imperialist structures. But then when you actually are there in the room and you see it happening, you see the person across on the screen on the Zoom, literally a black person, literally silence the voices of black people to then pass it over to the white um, governing body. I was just like, wow, this, this, this is, we can talk about Starmer, we can talk about them not addressing race in the party, but that is the reason why things have not changed. That is the reason why, because they've got their token to do the work for them. One of the things I've been involved in over the past couple of years is serious solidarity work. You know, solidarity mm -hmm. with the, you know, the, the, if you like, moderate Islamist or democratic groups in Syria mm -hmm. who are fighting, obviously, like one of the most grotesque, but you know, barbarous wars against uh, civilians since, you know, uh, Rwanda or Bosnia or all these things. Mm -hmm. um, in any case, one of the things that I think a lot of uh, people from that part of the world get frustrated with about anti, so-called quote-unquote anti-Zionism is that like, so people, you know, you guys might be aware that like in Yarmouk, which is a refugee camp in Syria, there are a huge number of Palestinians. Um, uh, uh, and Yarmouk was pro-revolution, anti-Assad, you know, Sunni place, it was, it was pro-revolution, anti-Assad. And it was bombed brutally, do you know what I mean? Like war crime brutally bombed, like barrel bombs, cut off from water and food and all this kind of stuff. And I think there's a section of people who, funnily enough, there's a section of people who are definitely very critical of Israel, but who look then at like that kind of leftism and go, where fucking were any of you people when the Palestinians were being barrel bombed in Yarmouk? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Why do you only mm. seem to care about Arabs ki getting killed if Israelis are doing the killing? I think well, this is what I was saying about people not actually really getting to grips of how complicated this issue is and seeing it in a very sort of simplistic way. So, I mean, my um, often critique around how the left approaches um, Zionism, so they use the language of colonialism, but then they don't apply that anywhere else other than that. So it's, it's just all about that, 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 um, that sort of occupation there. But then like the example that you use, I didn't see anybody talking about that. I didn't even know about that either. And I follow people who are like constantly, you know, with their Palestinian fags and all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's, sometimes it's like, with the left, the British left in particular, there's always still a framing of how to interact with um, sort of um, anti-occupation movements that are not without that are not through a Western lens. It's still always through a Western lens, yeah. rather than think trying to sort of think about how to think approach it internationally. Because I think people might call themselves internationalists, but really at heart. 
that's still yeah. within a kind of a kind of emp a, um, a sort of patriarchal view, a paternalistic view. Oh, for sure. And I think people feel comfortable with certain iconography. Like I sometimes think of it about, you know, politics becoming like a football match. So like, exactly. you know, everyone knows in Glasgow, Rangers are the baddies and Celtic are the goodies. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> in, in the same way, like when it comes to Syria, because like the Kurdish nationalists um, have definable, ostensibly obvious left-wing symbolism. Do you know what I mean? And because they, they have women fighters who don't wear hijab, they're kind of like what well, obviously goodies who we can make solidarity with, but actually, mm. you know, an Arab with a beard, you'd be like, mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, that's a bit more difficult, man. Um, the other the other sort of provocation thing would be thinking about America and thinking about this chat. We the, the very cogent and interesting point you were making about, you know, the, the 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 contradictions at the heart of the kind of especially the white working class in this country. You know, whatever that's supposed to mean. So one of the interesting things is I think when you look at the Biden election, is you go, who 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 won the election for Biden? Clearly, clearly a huge cadre of African American organizers, you know what I mean, Stacey Abrams, we have black women basically to be clear. Um uh Stacey Abrams, all these other people, her equivalents in the the blue wall as they call it over there. And when you look at it, when you break down the demographics of who voted who votes Democrat now, you you seem to see two big sections, don't you? You see the largely black, to a lesser extent Latino um uh working class communities in the big cities but you also see them in alliance with younger more educated uh middle class whites and to a lesser extent latinos and blacks in the closest suburbs do you know what i mean and then you see on the other side you see the rural areas um and you see poorer whites and i well, like you know i think of course we're leftists and stuff where and because we're anti-oppression and stuff like that, we instinctively go, well, there's something wrong with that because we're winning there for once, but without the poor whites. <laughs> and I just wonder if, like, what you guys think about that, whether you think anything like that in this country in this country is possible. Like, I mean, I don't fucking know. You know, maybe there's a there's a progressive government bit to be built on the back of an alliance between the people of Tottenham and the people of fucking St Albans or something. I don't know. So, so what are we asking? We're asking really that this this whole well, I'm 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 paraphrasing here. Um, allegedly, I'm going to use that because I don't know the term. Um, but that Key is kind of not happy with um his base and and going after the um the people who have left the party to go to like UKIP and such. Is that what you? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, what I'm point, point, pointing out is I think a little bit that like. Biden and the Democrats didn't go after that base again. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They specifically brought together middle class educated whites with working class largely uh, black and Latino inner city mm. areas, and they won. Do you won. think that's possible here? I don't. I, think I so. don't. I mean, I, I don't know how they're. Um, I mean, I think also it's just to do with how our system is in terms of constituencies as well. So I, I, I don't really know enough about like. I mean, other than the sort of electoral college type thing, which maybe means they don't need to focus on those groups as much, but only in like maybe certain certain states, I think it was, that they needed. Yes. Whereas here, I mean, this is why this is a whole drama about the red, the red wall, because like Labour's votes increased within areas that were already Labour, like massively increased. But, you know, 500 people in wherever in the red wall are the people that end up make, 
making the election. And I think the Tories are also going to be changing the boundaries soon as well to their own advantage. But um, I mean, you know, this is seen that the, the Labour Party's vote share with white working class has been decreasing for at least 15 years now. So, you know, I think this is more to do, this is more, I don't think it's like a party issue. I think it's more to do with a kind of a British culture and an yeah. overall kind of politic that is in this country post Thatcher, post Blair, and then obviously austerity and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And just a general kind of more, uh, more moving to the right in general, which is never going to, to benefit the Labour Party at all moving to the left. Yeah. So this is why I keep banging on about bloody Starmer leading the conversation rather than just following it. Because if he keeps following it, he's just going to lose. Absolutely because everyone right. knows if you keep going, oh, you know, get your union flag out, get all of that out. The Tories are, are the, the the public trust the Tories to do that stuff. They don't trust Labour to do that stuff. And I was reading a poll that was, um, I can't remember where it was, um, uh, in a red wall seat, um, where it was like, what do you trust, who do you trust from all of this? And it was like, defence, economy, migration, they, they trust the Tories more, NHS, education, and living standards, they trust Labour more. And it's always it's always been like that. So they just need to kind of push more on the things that they're stronger on rather than chasing things that they're never going to be trustworthy on. Yeah. The difference yeah. with Tony Blair, sorry not to go on, but the difference with um with Blair, even though I hated him and he was like the reason why I, I sort of got into activism in the first place over the Iraq war, was that he led the conversation on where he wanted to take British politics to, not just, you know, follow, trying to follow and take up the sort of Tory voters, but he ended up doing that in the end because he provided a hopeful vision, yeah. you know, called Britannia and all of that jazz. Yeah. All right, so just to move the conversation on a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about the history of black radical tradition in this country. And I mean, this is going to be, bear with me, because it's going to be quite a, a, a broad topic, but the history of black radical tradition in this country, um, the idea of BAME, elements of Afro-pessimism, and if we will ever see solidarity across race and class in this country, particularly now because of the atrocity that happened in Atlanta the other day, you know, Filipino nurses in this country have some of the highest COVID deaths, even higher than those in the Philippines. The Leicester sweatshop issues. Do we do we think that if we look to the history of uh, radicalism, we can get some of that solidarity back? I mean, I would hope so. But I think what is actually preventing that from happening is, um, you know, sadly sort of, you know, when I talk about this thing around um, the sort of monopoly of oppression mm. and how people are able to make money and profit from that. And I think that is the barrier that we need to break down before we even get to a point of people being able to show solidarity. Because if you're saying, saying, showing solidarity with another group of people and saying, you know, my oppression is similar to theirs mm. or much the same as theirs, then that automatically means you don't have a monopoly anymore. <laughs> which means you can't then make a profit anymore 
from being the most oppressed person on the planet, which is what, you know, some of these people in the West seem to think they are, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I watched so, it. So I, I was just saying to you earlier that I watched your interview with Annie and Mohammed, um, and you were talking about Afro-pessimism. And I'm very, I mean, I've seen the term, you know, banded around on Twitter probably for the last year or so. But I've only recently started looking into it and it's a big, broad topic. So, you know, it's going to take a while for me to finally get a a good grip of understanding. But even just that brief looking into it, you realise that you are influenced by ideologies of Afro-pessimism without even understanding what it is. So just like little things on Twitter and to to give one example, when we're talking about, you know, quote unquote, anti-blackness, there was a comment made by ex-superintendent Shabnan Chowdhury when she said uh, the the when she was talking about the Sarah Everett issue, this isn't a Black Lives Matter issue. This was a sensitive issue, and obviously everybody was up in uproar, like oh, anti-black, quote unquote, BAME. What do you th- what do you think about that? Who is that woman? Do you think ever going to identify herself as BAME? This is why. Why why does, why does it come in? She hasn't said she's BAME. What 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 has that got to do with anything? It sometimes it just feels a little bit like. Again, you know, people are taking... I can understand where it comes from. You know, I've experienced anti-blackness. We've all, you know, experienced that thing of going to the hair shop and being fired around the hair shop and all of that kind of nonsense. But, um, you know, it always comes back to trying to think about thinking about things structurally. And this obsession with BAME has no... It has no foundation. It has no foundation because, like you just pointed out there, you know, who are the most exploited communities in here when we're talking about, you know, who was working in the boohoo factories, we're talking about Filipino nurses. And then what happens is that it gets drowned out. These oppressions don't get heard and they get drowned out because we have become a sort of, you know, the sort of the, the fashionable focus actually. Right. Really, to be honest. Again, just watching that interview and like you you were all discussing like what is it, you know, blackness, the political blackness versus real blackness. What does blackness mean? And I guess the question is like, um, if we understand whiteness as being ideological and political why can we not and not genetic and not down to genetics why can we not understand that for i mean again and i'm new to this whole topic but i I see it like why can we not understand the same for black i guess well i mean it's a good question because i think again it goes one you know there's the influence from america um you know where black means a, a certain community they've never really had that sort of history that was tied up with, you know, a sort of anti-imperialism and anti-colonialism. But even there, you know, the term black is, is was quite a relatively new term, really, starting in the 70s. Before then, it was Negroes, that's a you know, language Malcolm X uses. Then it was something else. So people have been calling themselves something different anyway. Um, whereas, like, for here, for why... I guess um, we can't think of it as a sort of more of a collective term. I think it is that thing of the the the, the politics that sort of brought those communities together has changed. Um, sections of the the community have gotten better off and more well off. 
And so their aspirations are different. Their aspirations are more to do with maybe being more absorbed into a kind of white middle class. There's an anxiety about never being able to be part of that class as well. Um, so you end up sort of fighting over crumbs to be in that space. So you notice with a lot of the BAME conversations, it's like, oh, I can go into an organization and they will say they employ BAME people and I go there and then it's only South Asians. Not actually really like, well, why is there not South Asians and black people? They just don't want those South Asian yeah. people there. Right. I mean, and they the, want I, to what, replace those people. One of the things I find really weird about that is like, so in some ways it reminds me of the question of like, you know, when people have said like, oh, well, the diversity question, like it gets in the way of real change around social class. Have you at this point that people often say, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Trying to like subsume me and that's like the brexit argument. And I'm just a bit like, who are all these fucking posh, like Nigerian and Pakistani guys who are like running things in the arts in this country? Like I've never <laughs> oh fucking met one. Oh my God, don't get me started. Don't uh, get me started. What are you talking about, man? Is it, you know, that it's, I'd tell you, um, I've worked in so many um, places in the arts, the, the BFI, ICA, all of that sort of thing. And I would not, often not hear like a regional accent at all, at all. Even someone who seemed vaguely working class. And if they were, there was always a bit like, yeah, you always look at them like, yeah, I've got you, you got me, we all know this is a load of bullshit. And, um, you know, like you said, like the some of the, some of these people that are sort of taking up a lot of space in the arts and stuff right now are from quite comfortable middle class backgrounds, and it's kind of a bit like you know your your frustration and anger is about your class position not being recognised, not about your race. You you say it's about that, but actually you're annoyed because you're like, well, I am middle class too. Some of the stuff that I've heard where people are like getting angry about, you know, people thinking all oh, black people are poor and I'm not poor. I've got, you know, oh, wow. a 200,000k job, that oh, sort of yeah. thing. It's yeah. like, you, you just don't want, you don't, you don't want people to think, you know, you're from some sort of poor background. When the most vast majority of black people still are, really. Look, I don't want to, you know, flatten the complex discussion about around Afro pessimism into this, that, or the other. But I do. I, I, when I read the, is it? Is it? Um, I read the book. I, uh, is it? Uh, Will Frank Wilderson? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, the big book. Um, and one of the things that struck me about um, that and the stuff I was reading about it is like to be a bit jargonistic jargonistic one of the things what you guys were saying reminds me of is like I think one of the problems we struggle with is like people want to ontologize like something that happened to them that upset them exactly. or that oppressed yeah. them do you know what I mean mm -hmm. so in the same way that you know in that you know in that famous article he says he's talking he sat with you know you know the story I mean he sat with his Palestinian friend and his Palestinian oh, yeah the, he's, the, the imaginary Palestinian friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me and my Palestinian Cause, friends. Because I've seen an interview where they discuss this. I'll just shout in. I want you to come in with your kind of uh, viewpoint well, on that. You think, yes, please. Yeah, because um, my my take on that is why, of course, it's going to be worse if another person who's oppressed themselves within Israel is then enacting oppression on another person when that person should be their brother that was my that would be my understanding of that conversation 
not oh my god i'm being stopped and searched by a black man that's so much worse and like you know that's even more shameful than being stopped by a white idf officer it's 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 worse because that person should understand what your experience is considering the the um the the sort of the mountain that Ethiopian Jews had to climb to be accepted into to Israel. There's a whole sort of story around, you know, like the it was a rescue and um, I can't remember it was like Operation Solomon or something like that. But like that took a long time. It wasn't like automatically, oh, let's go and you know get these people and take them into here as refugees. They had to fight for that. Um, I was just gonna say, I've I've not. I've, I mean, I'm new to all of this stuff, and I've not read the book. Um, but I, even I've been influenced by, I guess, what we'd call the the memeified um ide ideologies of of Afro pessimism. Um, I saw a post to bring it back to to today. I, I saw a post um from. I won't mention the person's name, um, but, you know, talking about um, um, black women, this is not your fight. Where were the Asian women when when this happened? Where were the white women when this happened? You know, in relation to, again, the Atlanta atrocity. And um, and actually, you know, we when we were um, out last summer, there, there were people of all creeds and colours there. So for, for people to think that, we were out there alone. And I think you've spoken about this, Shardine, is, is actually a falsehood. It's a falsehood. And I don't understand. I'm, sometimes I'm like, was everyone just walking around with sunglasses on or some sort of v virtual reality where everyone on the protest was, was <laughs> black? Because like, why are you going to, why are you just going to lie about something when we can look at a picture and see what it is? There's so much evidence out there of those protests being pretty multiracial. And then you're just going to pretend that that wasn't a thing. And this sort of thing about, oh, this isn't our fight. It's like, you think these people are not going to come and shoot us next or previously, or, you know, it's like, what it actually makes me really angry because it's so lacking in empathy. Like these women just went to work and they were murdered. And then you're going to make a whole thing about, oh, this isn't my fight, whatever. <laughs> Actually, I mean, fuck yeah. off. It's, yeah. it's actually disgusting. <laughs> it's actually disgusting. And I think, you know, what happens is that people try and sort of bury it under a politic to make it more palatable and to make it seem like actually what is a morally bankrupt position has some validity. It has no validity at all. You have essentially just said you will not care and you do not care when other people have been murdered in a racist attack. That's that's basically what you said. So looking back to the history of radical politics and um, solidarity, when we look to, in in the interview, you mentioned people like Steve Biko, um, Kathleen Cleaver um, spoke about this as well, um, Fred Hampton, like the unifying of politics, creating unified politics. Is that something that you think is happening or um, can happen for the left? I, th I think it's, um, I think some people, I've noticed a, a, a bubbling of a realisation about this. Um, I'd say maybe even three, four years ago, you know, I felt very sort of um, marginalised um, in terms of like, you know, being sort of on the left and like having a sort of more of a politic that was um, sort of about um, unity and solidarity. And it's very much just like me and 
you know, mates who are in other sort of major activist groups. Yeah. I mean, you, you get it hard. And I think it's because a lot of people like like myself, I see it, but I don't know how to enter the conversation. Exactly. I mean, I think that's, that's what I know because I get so many um, messages from people and it's a scary thing, you know, these, these people are quite nasty online. I wouldn't want to be jumping in and you know getting myself dragged by these crazy people (laughs) but um you know i'm sort of like half used to it now and it's just like well some of those people three four years down the line and then you i start seeing them saying similar things to me anyway (laughs) right wow so you know that there's something's clearly happened where they slowly say they've started to realize that it's kind of like the sort of mainstream of um sort of like sort of black politics at the moment is a bit messy and there'll there'll be something where they'll start you know joining the dots and being like well actually i don't really agree with what happened there or someone will do something which looks the optics look quite manipulative like the slim flower thing as a classic example or you know maybe seen some someone seen someone try to make think something about colorism but actually they were just mistaken and got their wires crossed and they've tried to sort of like you know go back on it and turn it into a political point like people a lot of people are not stupid and um you know, so I'm starting to, I'm starting to see a sort of shift. And obviously with um, Corbyn as well, I mean, even though it's the Labour Party, that is the mainstream. So these sort of ideas about thinking about housing and all of that kind of stuff and having a sort of a unified, diverse campaign. And in the face of the Tories as well and what they're doing, them having black and brown um MPs who are like awful fascist like kind of um people yeah is starting to make people kind of like question again well what does it mean to you know for what does liberation mean and yeah. how do we get there well it's not going to be in like a re rehashing black capitalism that's not where our liberation no, I lies mean, you know as much as I love Brixton and Peckham they're, they're not going to save the world right on their own yeah we're not going to save the world on our own with our with our sort of little ideas of what we form in our you know predominantly sort of black areas in London I mean it's absolutely ridiculous and I think you know maybe because I grew up here and I grew up elsewhere that I have a sort of a broader understanding about and actually live there, not go to university, like actually grew up there. I have a much broader understanding of the connections between class and race than maybe if I had just stayed, you know, up in Walthamstow on my estate. Yeah, I think that is true because I think like even just getting some of my um, community interested in politics is 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 hard. So they don't even see any of this like London centric Twitter uh, um politicization um and you know they they have very different thoughts to the things i see on twitter um which is yeah it can be can be exactly and you don't we we don't get to hear it and i know like um you know um there's sort of a kind of the kind of more hip people and that's even a fucking term but like (laughs) more sort of like people who are sort of like connected to what's happening in the london circles start to sort of bring that politics 
to other parts of the region but it doesn't take long for people to realize it's not going to work because it will just be you on your own in a room yeah yeah just to circle back to this question about like you know the bit of the world we are working and like the kind of like you know let's stop saying bane i don't know if you guys saw this thing at the fucking at the belgrade theater in coventry and they were saying like oh you know the, 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 we're going to stop saying bane and stuff like this and i was just like it brings out this part of me where i'm just like just give some blacks and asian people jobs man exactly. do you know what i mean and shut the fuck exactly. up like uh, but, but also like i kind of got my frustration with that we've seen young people of color getting excited about that and like oh surely liberation looks like not asking white people for things mm -hmm. surely exactly. do you know what i mean exactly and the thing is so and like you said we're not even at the place where they, are they going to employ more people because what concerned me about that is that when i go again going back to the sort of gate people's thing is that there was we know how this sector works there were some black folks in there who think by removing bame therefore they're going to get more funding and they're going to get more positions and yeah, that's not going to happen it's just a, you know they become heads of the, the initiatives and, and exactly that. that's not going to happen there might be one of you yeah and then what about you know the asian person that did that's not going to get is that really what you want to do is start pushing people out just so you can get the work yeah. some people probably might be all right with that but it's like i'd rather see less of these Susans, these white middle class Susans, you know, in our sector with their bobs and their Breton tops and whatever, and just more people of colour in those positions. It's really not that difficult. But um, instead, you know, we're doing all this silliness about BAME. I had this with the um, Musicians Union because <laughs> they, um, we have a, I started a sort of a BAME quote network because it's a language that everybody understands and it it relates directly to um, the way we collect data and information. Mm -hmm. And um, they went ahead and tried to change it to pe the, the people who experience racism oh network. Amazing. Just the and same thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, presumably, just... like, presumably, like, like, racist thugs also experience racism. It's just that they're doing it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. And also, it's like, so, is our own, our only identity is that we experience racism? Right. That's mm -hmm. it. That that's my whole blackness is about how I experience racism. Not that you know. I tell you. Um, when I um, because I went to Birkbeck University, but I used to hang out in SOAS, and a lot of the people that are my friends there are you know people who are now doing stuff with BLM now and all of that kind of stuff. So we used to have like these amazing conversations, and it was such a formative time for um, my politics. But we hardly spoke about white people. We hardly spoke about it. We were just very much centered on blackness being the center black thoughts being our centre, black politics being our centre, and our discussions were within that. Obviously, we talked about racism and colonialism because you can't not, but at the moment, everything is that whiteness is the centre and then we are just like this mirror that has to keep sort of trying to validate ourselves against it. And I'm yeah. just not, not about that not at all. Not as black as black objection yeah versus exactly yeah and so you notice <clears throat> if we're talking about cultural trends and stuff if you look at all the books that are coming out now i mean if i have to see another book about what white people 
do or white fragility yeah. or whiteness as a psychosis or you know not talking to white people this is what all the the popular black political books are about right now and if you look about 10 20 years ago you know i'm just actually i was just looking at um sister outside of audrey lord on my bookshelf right now there's nothing really she talks about racism but she does not center and have a whole book about white people it's ridiculous like why why are we you know writing for white audiences about what they can do when we needed to be developing our own black thoughts because we're not doing yeah. that anymore i have a theory about this and this is where i start sounding like worryingly right wing but along with that there's that i don't know it just reminded me of what you were saying it reminded me of the uh, the kind of therapyization of politics mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like when you were saying mm -hmm. like oh people who have suffered racism or whatever it is, or people who have experienced racism. Mm -hmm. Like, you're like, what is that? Because there's nothing active about that at all. No. Do you know what well, I mean? Well, I mean, you know, I've just tweeted recently about um, how people, in, I've spoke to three different people who've all said the same thing entirely separately about moving away from Black Lives Matter, which is quite a passive sort of statement when you think about it to black power and then what what does that mean and um i mean i'm going to be you know writing about this in my book a bit but like um it's interesting to think about how and where the blm movement developed and what demographic of african americans it developed out of and we're talking about a, you know a, a huge increase of um, black, lower middle class, um, African-American people going into what they call PWI, so predominantly white institutions and experiencing being sort of like, you know, marginalized within the, in those spaces. So have you seen the, um, the series Dear White People? Um, only the first, yeah. yeah. You've heard of it. Yeah. That was a film as well. But that, that demographic is the BLM demographic it's not the you know hbcus and i know the black panthers went to to and um, berkeley and yale back in the day but that was actually quite unusual um and i think in the uk as well we're seeing a lot more um black and um, people of color going to university massive numbers that they weren't before as well and so again there's that anxiety of going into what is a middle class space and essentially coming out of that space, not really being part of where you're from, but not also being in the in the space that you've entered into. That's so interesting, yeah. man, because I think like in a way, you know, it's one of the interesting things about left wing politics, like, you know, a lot of times in, in the global south, especially, you know, uh, leftists spent a lot of the 20th century waiting for like the international working class to rise up. But actually, a lot of the anti-colonial and anti-imperialist movements in the, in the global south were driven by ex more or less that kind of lower middle class person. Educated. Yeah, yeah. Educated um, I mean, you know, yeah. for better for worse, that's what the. I'm not saying these what these all panned out to be good guys, but for better for worse, that's what the leadership of Zanu was in Zimbabwe. Mm -hmm. That's what the leadership of various Iranian and Arab groups was. So it's super interesting. Also, I mean, if I can make one one final point about that, what did you say that um, three letter thing is for like? Uh, mostly white institutions or something like that? What was it? Um, PWI, predominantly white institution. Well, I, I kind of go, well, obviously the headline um, 
uh, black person from a lower middle class educated background who does well for himself and goes into a predominantly white institution would be Barack Obama. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so we're coming to the end. I just want to give Shardine the, um, the, the, the last, like, if you've got any final points, if you want to plug your book, anything like that. Like the first. Go for it. But actually, no, sell, no, sell, sell. <laughs> well, I mean, the book is called um, Sold Out, How Black Feminism Lost Its Soul. Um, so it should be out in 2022. And um, it's about the neoliberalisation of black feminism. So I'll be looking at the sort of trajectory of this wave of black feminism from, I guess, sort of like the noughties up until today. And um, just looking at how the kind of socialist, what was the sort of socialist driving force within black feminism has been dissipated and replaced with a kind of Thatcherite and liberal ideology through sort of examples. And um, then I'll be um, sort of, I guess, sort of providing a sort of way that we can return to those, some sort, those kind of politics, but for the 21st century. And where can people find you if they want to follow you and, and get into your um, tweets and stuff? I'm on Twitter as at Shadeen, Shardine Taylor. Um, thank you, Shardine, for joining us. And guys, we'll see you on the next episode. So that's been The Colour of Our Politics with me, Javad Alipour. And me, Tanya Patel. If you've enjoyed it, please like the podcast, subscribe to it to get other bi-weekly episodes on whatever form it is that you download your podcast, share it, review it, and just, you know, join in the conversation on social media. <laughs>